All right, good morning. Let me invite you to turn in your worship guide to page three for the reading of Scripture. Page three. My name is Darren, and I am actually the pastor here, only pretending to be a worship leader today. Uh, but next week, I will, back, I will be back to not pretending any further and only be pastoring you. Um, but in all honesty, uh, if you're new here, I would love to uh, be able to serve you in any way I can. I do invite you, uh, if you'd like to have breakfast with me or to meet with me, to please uh, go ahead and fill that out on our church app, on the card, uh, or talk to me personally. I would be honored uh, to do that. What I'm going to do is read from the passage printed in your worship guide, which is Mark chapter 9, verses 14 through 29. And then I'm going to invite you to respond as indicated below uh, with the words in bold there. Let's read now together from God's holy word. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise be to you, O Christ. Let's pray together. O Lord, our God, we come to this time and we sit under these words. And Lord, I recognize that in a room this size, that no doubt, there is no doubt that this room is filled with people uh, who have come from all sorts of different places. Some of us have come in uh, these doors, have sang these songs, or have simply listened, uh, and life is good. Uh, things are well. Uh, we feel good. Uh, we are not stressed out at the moment, but we are relaxed. We are enjoying a beautiful day. Uh, Lord, and yet others of us, no doubt, our experience is completely different. Some of us come in here uh, as the victims of many sleepless nights, uh, dealing with all kinds of anxiety, all kinds of fear. Some of us come in here burdened with pain in their bodies. Some of us come in here uh, with very broken family relationships, broken marriages. Um, some of us come constantly thinking about these things. 
And Lord, I recognize further uh, that no doubt some of us come from these places with faith, with belief in you, with trust in you, and yet others of us come in here, uh, no doubt, with overwhelming doubts about you. Some of us uh, probably are even here uh, very firmly not believing in you. And Lord, I pray that whatever place we find ourselves in, whether we find ourselves in times of plenty uh, or a season of anxiety, whether we come here with many much faith in you or dealing with all kinds of doubt, I pray that you would give us grace to see that in the way that matters the most, we all ultimately come the same. We all have an overwhelming and an unrelenting need to hear from you, to know you, and to be changed by you. And I pray that you would open our eyes, give us grace to see how you have addressed this need in the person and work of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning and welcome. Uh, My name is Darren. We are in our fall sermon series that we are calling Immediately the Urgent Mission of Jesus Christ. We are going back through the Gospel of Mark. We started this uh, series a couple years ago, uh, but we never finished it because I was granted a sabbatical, and now we're coming back to it, kind of skipping around a little bit. And this series, uh, this book is raising to us the urgency of mission. The word immediately is used 59 times in the New Testament. 41 of those are in the Gospel of Mark. So Mark is uh, no doubt uh, communicating to us this theme. And friends, one of the reasons that we're in this book is I'm asking this question, how is it that the urgent mission of Jesus Christ for Phoenixville, for you, for your families, for those in your lives whom you care very deeply about, how is it that this mission is going to move forward? Right, that's the question. I believe it's addressed by this passage, but I want to ask you a second question that's related. Right, in my chair, I have this church to think about. I have this city to think about. What about you? Right, each of you, no doubt, whether you articulate it or not, every single one of you has a mission this year for yourself, for your family, perhaps, for those people that you care about. Right, what is it? And how are you going to pursue it? right? To not have a mission is still to have a mission, right? It's to, uh, you're always going to have one whether you uh, think about it or not. I'm encouraging you to think about what is your mission and then how do you accomplish it? I believe this passage speaks into both uh, of these issues. So uh, as I was reflecting on this, I was thinking about what it would be like, you know, if aliens are real. Does anyone believe in aliens? (laughs) Well, and as anyone believe but not willing to admit it, all right. But just supposing aliens are real, I don't, I don't know if they are or not. I have no knowledge. Not been contacted yet. Um, but supposing that aliens are real and an alien, you know, is receiving these broadcasts that people are sending out, right? And that's next level alien, by the way. If you're into aliens, you know, and you're like, I've just been like researching all the time. If you really are serious, I want to challenge you to get a high-gain antenna, to point it into space, and to start broadcasting messages, okay? That's your, that's your application for today. And suppose, suppose that you did that. You said, Darren, I'm going to go get a high-gain antenna, I'm going to use the lowest frequency possible, and I'm going to move as much power as legally allowed by law, and I'm going to send a message into space, right? And supposing you only decided to send the Gospels, the actual text of the Gospels, okay? And so you send Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and supposing those, those texts were read, right, and that's all that was read, 
I ask this question, what would those who are reading those texts or listening to them, how would they understand Jesus' answer to this question about his mission moving forward? Right? How would they understand Jesus, his mission as articulated by the Gospels moving forward? Well, friends, if you only read the Gospels, right, or if you send them to someone, that's all they read, there is no doubt that that person would walk away and, and close to the top of the list, maybe not the top, but I think at least in the top three, close to the top of the list, they would say this, the mission of Jesus Christ is the defeat of the forces of evil. That, there's no doubt in my mind that they would say that. As you read the Gospels, oh, you know, it's hard for us uh, modern people, Americans, most of us, um, but anyone, anyone living in this day and time, particularly from a Western country, right, it is difficult for us to enter in to the, to the text of the Gospels where so many events that take place, so many, are Jesus interacting directly with the forces of evil. And friends, I raise that because the Scripture, even outside of the Gospels, affirms that this is the case, right? So for example, if you're sitting here and I asked you that question, what is, my, what is your mission this year, right? And you thought about something you desire for your kids, right? Something you desire for your family. I really would like my family to adopt this practice or to do better in this area, right? I want to just raise this issue that if you were in the time of Jesus and you were thinking about those issues, implicit in those thoughts would be, how is it am I going to contend with the forces of evil, right? That's the very basic point of this passage is here's a dad, his kid has needs, and the source of those needs is evil. That, that's, exa- that's precisely what is happening, and it's not in any way unique to this passage. It happens all throughout the Gospels, and then the Apostle Paul will actually kind of repeat this in the sixth chapter of Ephesians where he will say, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. That's evil, by the way. Why? Because we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So what I want to do, friends, is I want to walk through this passage, and I want you to keep these questions in your mind. How is it that I move forward? Um, Does evil exist? Is it real in my life? And if so, how am I going to contend with it? And I think that this passage will shed some light on these questions. So, uh, the passage begins with a bunch of pronouns that are not uh, explained. I want to tell you what's happening. So, Jesus has just been with Peter, James, and John in an event that's known as the Transfiguration. Okay, Jesus takes kind of his inner circle up on a mountain, and he is shown in his glory, uh, and she's shown there uh, with Moses and Elijah in power. And these folks, their minds are completely blown, right? And, and they're coming down. And as they come down, they come down to commotion, right? And this is one of the worst experiences that parents have, isn't it? Right? When you are kind of, you had a great day at work, you're, you know, you finally made that sale, you know, the project is complete, everyone loves you, you, you know, you're really excited, and then you come in the house, 
and there is commotion. People are screaming at each other. They're all screaming at you at the same time. You know, you, you know you've got hearing loss. And you're like, I don't even know what's going on. And I, I haven't yet reached the fridge to grab my beer, and you're preventing me from doing so. Right? When you're in that place, it's kind of like what's happening here, right? So uh, it says in verse 15, you know, commentators make note of this, it says, all the crowd, when they saw him, that is Jesus, they were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. What does that mean? What did he do that was so amazing? These folks weren't on the mountain with him, right? What did he do that was so amazing? Well, I believe the answer is, because his disciples had been given power to go out and cast out demons, to heal diseases, right, to completely transform a person's circumstances. And they were very successful in all this practicing until now, right? And so all of a sudden, you've got people lining up for the disciples saying, you know, heal my child, uh, cast out this demon, solve my problem, please. And they're all lined up way down, and they're doing it until they can't and they don't know why. And of course, there's a group of people in the midst called the scribes, and they they are quite excited about this reality. They are not friendly toward Jesus, not friendly toward the disciples, and they're saying, I knew it. I I knew you were a scam. I knew that you don't have the power, right? And so they run up to Jesus trying to settle this issue of why could these disciples not cast out this demon? Why could they not deal with this issue when they have been dealing with all these kinds of issues? And of course, the scribes want to say, look, it's because they're fake. It's because this is all all of a sham. Uh, No doubt there were all sorts of competing opinions in the room, but the passage zeroes in. Its focus is on the child's father himself, right? And, you know, friends, some of you, some of you I actually, I think of, um, some of you, no doubt, have experienced this. Others of you have seen others experience it. But as I said in the leading of worship, there is, in my opinion, no greater sign of being desperate than a parent feeling that way over a child. That, that there is nothing that compares to that, even over your own health. I've watched people die. I've watched people get sick. There is nothing in my little bit of experience that compares to being in agony over your child suffering or potentially dying. There is nothing that compares to that, in my opinion. And so this father comes, and I want you to put yourself in his shoes. He had no doubt gotten his hopes up, right? The disciples are in my town right? He went out and someone was scalping tickets and he mortgaged his house to buy a ticket, maybe, right? Cut the line, brings his son finally to disciples, and all these people are going away celebrating, ah, my disease has been healed. Now I, you know, I can see, now I can talk, I can uh, enjoy life. Everything's great. And finally, it's his place and time. He goes up to the disciples and nothing, right? That's where he's at. But then, Jesus himself is spotted, and of course, he's saying, well, maybe Jesus can help me. So he runs up to Jesus, and he explains to Jesus that um, my son uh, has this condition, and your disciples were not able to help him. Now, I want to address one point in this. Uh, Some people, in fact, a lot of people, believe that this passage is describing epilepsy. Maybe some of you have heard that in the past, right? Because there are some things in it that sound similar. 
right? And they say, well, this, is, this goes to show that, you know, in the ancient times, they believed that health matters were spiritual, but they're really not. So let's figure out if there's something we can learn and move on. I do not believe this passage is talking about epilepsy. And one reason I say that, a couple of reasons I say that, but one of the main ones is that in Matthew's gospel, it says this. It says, Jesus' fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. So he just, the scripture is able to distinguish between being affected by a demon and uh, being an epileptic. And so this passage is very, very, very intentional to say that this child was affected by evil itself. And there were some symptoms that might look like epilepsy, but I do not believe uh, that is what was happening. Now, there's two main questions raised by the way that Jesus will interact with the Father and with the disciples. And I believe these two questions are connected together, and they do, in fact, shed light on uh, the questions that I raised at the beginning of the passage, and that is this. What is the role of faith and the mission that you're moving forward with? What is the role of faith and your mission? And secondly, what is the role of prayer? What is the role of faith, number one? Number two, what is the role of prayer? And I'll say that because when Jesus interacts with the Father, the main thing he brings up, right, the main issue that comes up is faith. If you have faith, you can move forward. You need faith to move forward. It's the main thing that comes up, but then when the disciples ask him about it, he doesn't mention faith at all. He says, no, no, what you need is prayer. So what's going on here? And I want to try to unpack this for you in just a few minutes that we have left here. So there's two seemingly different reasons uh, that are offered for how it is that this evil can be overcome, faith and prayer, what is going on? Well, the first thing that's mentioned, in fact, I think it's probably that which is most uh, emphasized in the passage, is the lack of faith. I mean, Jesus actually, if we're honest, Jesus seems frustrated, right? He seems he seems frustrated. Why? He says, oh, faithless generation, right? He's indicting not this person, right? Not just a group of people, but the entire generation. He says, you all, y'all have no faith. How long must I bear with you, right? He sounds frustrated. It bothers him that there is such little faith in the entire generation, and then the father comes to him and says, you know, Jesus, like, I don't know if you're able to help me. I actually say that to people a lot when I want someone to help me. I always try to give them an out because I think that's polite. You know, like, if you're able to help me, Laura, she's always able to help. <laughs> okay. But I always just say that. Like, I don't know if you're able to help with this, but um, that's what this man is saying this to Jesus. We don't know why. And Jesus says, if you can, I mean, he is yet again shocked. He says, all things are possible to him who believes. Now, the elephant in the room is this, right? So many people have had their lives absolutely destroyed by pastors such as myself who have said, your problem in life stems from a lack of faith. So I have a friend who went on a skiing trip, so he says, with a group from a church with a tradition that really is into this, and uh, one of his friends had an accident. I think he had a broken leg, 
And the youth pastor said, you know what, we're going we're gonna to go have a healing service right now for this kid. And so they all they did get together. This kid is in agony. We don't know if any pain meds were given to him, right? And the pastor says, do you believe that God can heal your leg? And the person says, yes, I believe. And he whacks him on the leg. Kid yells out a scream. And he wasn't healed. And what did the pastor say next? You must not have faith. Go send this kid to the hospital, right? It's interesting. There's something going on. I haven't quite wrapped my head around it. I don't know what's going on. There's, you might have seen in the news recently how televangelist uh, Benny Hinn is sort of correcting his views on some things, maybe, I don't know. Um, but there's a number of things going on. One thing that I thought was interesting was uh, there's a person named Joyce Meyer, and, and she has likewise kind of come away from uh, this teaching, and this is what she said. She says, I'm glad for what I learned about prosperity, but got it out of balance. I'm glad for what I learned about faith, but got it out of balance. Explaining every time someone had problems, it was because they didn't have enough faith. If you got sick, you didn't have enough faith. If your child died, you didn't have enough faith. Well, that is not right. So what we're seeing here is we're seeing uh, even in some rather prominent people who have made millions of dollars on this teaching, right? They're now coming out and saying, you know, we think we got this wrong. We don't think this is correct, right? And, and I will tell you, as a minister, um, you may have something happen to your children, you may have something happen to yourself, and that does not mean that it is because you do not have adequate faith. I just want to say that right now, okay? And we know that throughout all of the scriptures uh, in the New Testament, we see uh, plenty of examples where that is the case. However, in our passage, uh, this is a main point. This is a crucial point. So what's going on here? Well, I want to look at the second question and then come back to this one and wrap it up. Okay, so we have this sort of big question about how is faith functioning uh, between Jesus and this man. Jesus, of course, does uh, rebuke the evil spirit, the, the child as well, and they move on with their lives, and the disciples pull Jesus aside, and they say, why weren't we able to cast out this demon? Why weren't we able to do it? And, and this is where I thought this was so interesting, such an interesting response. He said, why weren't we able to do it? Again, these, these folks had been very successful with doing things just like this. They had been going all throughout Israel, casting out demons, healing the sick, doing all these things. But they come upon this one where they're unable. And uh, verse 28, they go to a, a house and they ask him privately, why couldn't we not cast it out? And he said, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. This kind Right? Implicitly saying there are kinds of evil. Isn't that interesting? This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. And you know, if you notice uh, Jesus' interaction with the Father, what Jesus does in verse 21 is he says, How long has this been happening? What's he doing? He's act, asking diagnostic questions. Right? When you go to the doctor, right, the doctor doesn't instantly go to a blood test, right? What do they do? They ask you questions. How long have you had this condition? You know, tell me about your family history. Tell me what's going on. Well, Jesus likewise is diagnosing this to a certain extent, right? And he says there are kinds of evil. And then he says to the disciples, you know, your error, the reason you could not cast this kind out is because they only come out through prayer. But then, <laughs> then that raises another problem, another issue, right? 
Where's the prayer? No one prays, right? And yet the demon comes out. What in the world is going on in this passage, right? What in the world is going on? This kind cannot come out by anything but prayer. He says to the disciples, he says to the Father, the issue is your faith. He says to the disciples, the issue is your prayer. Casts out the demon, but there's not any prayer, right? And then, to make matters worse, the Father's faith is, I believe, sort of. I'm really with you, mostly, right? It's kind of like faith that, that has some doubts in it, isn't it? I believe, help my unbelief. What's he doing? He's saying, my belief in your power is commingled with my doubt in your power. That's, what I, that's where I am. And friends, this is the key, I believe, that unlocks this entire passage and I believe speaks into where we are corporately as a church and where you are individually as folks and as families, right? This is what I believe is the key that unlocks it. Jesus talks to this man who has some faith, but yet it's coupled with all kinds of doubts about Jesus, but he's absolutely desperate, right? Jesus tells him, look, if you just had faith, this would be fine. And the man responds and says, I believe, help my unbelief. I believe that was the prayer. This man was articulating the kind of prayer that Jesus was exhorting them to. And friends, I just want to point out for you how ridiculously encouraging this is to me, and I hope it is to you as well. You see, the disciples of Jesus Christ, those who walk with him, right? if they are real with themselves and with each other, what do they say? I believe in you mostly. I trust in you kind of. I'm confident in your power with some footnotes and with some exceptions. You know what Jesus says that's so beautiful about that? He says, that's faith. That is what faith looks like. You see, the Bible does not set out this standard of faith uh, that, is, that is very different than what you experience, right? The standard of faith of this man and the standard of faith of Darren Pesnell, and I know of you as well as, you, as we have prayed together, right, is I believe mostly. Help my unbelief. And Jesus Christ, in response to that prayer, says, yes, I will, I will do as you've asked. I will hear the prayer of faith. And see, I I think, friends, that one of the things this passage really hammers home to me is the whole reason we are fasting and praying as a church. Right? This mission that Laura recited so wonderfully. Right? We seek. We passionately seek to preach Christ, to love one another, to serve our city, to plant churches. That mission. The the substance of what's happening, if we are successful in that mission, includes an erosion of evil in Phoenixville and in your lives and in your families. That, that is what it includes. It is not simply you know, having the best marketing, having the right preaching and music and coffee, although our coffee is awesome. Right? I wanted to say that. It is not about all of those things, so those things are important. Right, the success of Ironworks Church and the success of your family will be determined as you interact with the forces of evil. That is a component. Not the only component, but it is a very serious component. 
And I want you to hear the words of Jesus Christ spoken to his disciples, and I believe to you and I today, right? This kind of evil he's talking about, there are kinds of evils, this kind of evil cannot come out by anything but prayer. Meaning, if we do not engage in prayer for our city, we should have no expectation that our mission will move forward in substance. And one thing that's interesting, by the way, if you're actually reading from a real Bible, right, um, you probably have a little footnote. And in that footnote, what you'll see is that there is a discrepancy in the manuscript evidence for this passage because yeah, the slight majority say this kind can't come out by anything but prayer, but then there's yeah, a minority, but it's a strong minority, where it says this kind can not come out by anything but prayer and fasting. And the theory that, that I've read and sounds interesting to me is that uh, as the church was copying down this passage, they were arguing with each other because fasting had become such a significant part of church life that they were debating was it included or not, right? So there's such a strong evidence for it, but it's not a majority, so we have it as a footnote. And I don't know what the right thing is there, but I do want to say this. Let us seek our God in power. Let us cry out to him with prayer and fasting. And friends, please, as you consider the mission of your lives and of your families and of your uh, place this year, can I plead with you to recognize that some things will only happen through prayer? And the faith that's required for that is the faith that you probably have already, right? Which is, I believe, help my unbelief. And so friends, as we receive this exhortation from the scriptures, as we think over these things, I want to invite you um, to evaluate to what extent uh, is this part of your life? To what extent is this part of your experience? And uh, I want to close with a quote from uh, Mr. Chrysostom. This is what he says. The potency of prayer has subdued the strength of fire. It has bridled the rage of lions. It has expelled demons. It has broken the chains of death. It has assuaged diseases. It has rescued cities from destruction. It has stopped the sun in its course. It has arrested the progress of the thunderbolt. Let us, let us receive this. And let us engage boldly, fighting back the forces of evil in our city, in our church, in our home, as we seek the Lord in prayer and fasting tonight. Let me pray for us.